here's the snap, four-man rush, firing downfield, and got a man, rock and roll, touchdown, Texans! Game day is every day. Yeah, nice ball, nice ball. Five nights a week, the hits keep on coming. There's a sack. Wow, he's bringing down the quarterback. Now, it's Texans All Access. Oh, let's have some fun tonight. Hello, Texans fans. Mark Vandermeer with you, along with John Harris. And because it's Thursday night, you set your watch to it, your calendar to it, your life to it. It's John McClain from the Houston Chronicle, who's been on a lot lately with Clint under the weather, I guess. So, the general, I heard you a little bit this afternoon. Sounds great. But uh, I know with us, you always bring a little extra. How's it going, general? I hear John like way in the background. Like, it's going great, the... thank you. There, oh, there we go. Is. I've never been on. It took me a while to figure out how to hit the <laughs> on and off button. Hey, you got work on that, General. Everybody's. Uh, it was interesting. We had Jonathan Grenard on earlier, and you guys know what a good talker he is. And I thought, man, if he'd have played every game, he might have fifteen sacks because he had eight through the Jets game. People expect big things from him next year, and and uh, I've already I wrote a column today. That uh, will be in a chronicle tomorrow and is on Texas Sports Nation today about some of the players that I believe deserve new contracts, starting with the defense with Malik Collins and Cam Grugier-Hill and Desmond King the second, And there will be others. Those are just three on defense I targeted. Hey, General, as far as it pertains to, obviously, free agents the Texans have here, there you mentioned a few of them. What about free agents elsewhere? Do you think there will be a situation in which the Texans might look at that's the right way of saying this. Not higher-priced free agents, but maybe three- to four-year contract free agents. Would do you think the Texans will be in that market in 2022, or do you think that's something that waits until 2023? I believe, and I don't know, but based on what we've seen, Nick Casario gave one contract more than two years. It was for three, and it was punter Cam Johnston from Philadelphia, and he's been worth it. Now, Maybe there's one guy he's got to have at a position he would do it. Cap's supposed to go up by $20 million and But I'm guessing it would be the next year. Because when you pay more for free agents, those guys got to be the answer to getting you in the playoffs, close to the playoffs, if you're in the playoffs, to the Super Bowl. And you know, we're talking about he Casario brought in a lot of players, and he uncovered some nuggets. And Malik Collins and Cam Grugier-Hill and Desmond King the second. Uh, those Even those guys, well, Grugier Hill was not established. You know, he barely started Philadelphia one game for Miami. But Malik Collins was good for the Cowboys, and then he went as free agent to Vegas, and it didn't work. And then Desmond King is with his third team in three years. So those guys seem to have found homes. They've uh, adjusted to Lovey Smith's defense. They like what he's doing. So I think that we won't see Casario sign as many free agents because they're going to get young. They got nine draft choices right now. They're going to trade Deshaun Watson. I think they have a good chance they'll trade Laramie Tunsil, and they won't get all those picks this year. But I could see Casario with 10 picks and signing a few more uh, rookies because that rookie draft class he has, starting with Davis Mills and Nico Collins in the third round, those guys have shown promise. And then they got Jimmy Morrissey, the center from New Orleans, another rookie, and he showed promise. So, their young guys have showed enough promise to think he could have twice as many next year, and that means there would be fewer free agents. 
Yeah, we talked to Nick this week, and I think it'll be interesting to see how they raid other teams' free agents, guys who are available. And I had somebody ask me, well, why aren't they signing a lot of these guys who are contributing right now? Just gobble them up. Well, it takes two to tango, right, General? I mean, some of these guys, they might like it here, but also maybe they want to play the market a little bit because it is a professional sport after all. What are your thoughts? Well, you know Casario will try to sign the guys he wants to re-sign before they become free agents on March 16th. Because if you hit the open market, you got to figure you're not going to be the only one interested in them based on what they've, how they played this year and what they've, what they've shown. So... I think for guys, especially for Malik Collins, who nobody can have, no team can have enough good defensive tackles. Grugier Hill might have been a case for opportunity, might be Lovey Smith's defense, might have been the NFL just click for him. So he might be better off here than somewhere else. And Desmond King, you know, nobody has enough corners. He's also can play inside, outside, and he's a punt returner, and that versatility is valuable. But I would think the defensive player whose contract is expiring, who would be most in demand, would be Malik Collins. General, do you think Derrick Henry plays on Sunday at no, all? No, no. I mean, he's been out. You know, he got hurt on, on October 31st. He had to put surgery the next week. He's only been back at practice this week. And they need to win to get home field advantage and get that first round by. And if he doesn't play and they win and they're favored by double digits – and that's powerful motivation to get the home field advantage, not to mention want to get revenge for what happened in Nashville. But if he didn't, then that would give him a total of three weeks of practice before he came back. And somebody said, well, he needs to knock off the rust. He didn't play in preseason. Did he need to knock off the rust? Mm. He's still six in the NFL in rushing. Do you know that since he went down there and with Texans cast off, Deontay Foreman and Dontrell Hilliard as their two top backs, they're only 97 fewer yards than they had with Derrick Henry for the eight games he was there, and that's because of the Mike Grable mindset of running the football. No matter who's in the line or who's in the backfield, you've got to have guys who have that kind of mindset, and I believe that's something that when Casario's trying to sign players in the offseason and running back in the, in the offensive line, they're, they're, that's the kind of mindset they want because they know they have to improve the running game before anything else. Well, General, they struggled for a bit. They went through a tough stretch, of course, losing to the Texans, Patriots. Are they out of their funk right now? I know they blew out the Dolphins. That's nice for them. They did beat the 49ers in that Thursday night game. It was not looking good for a while, but they got the better of them in the second half. Do you think they're out of their funk? And also, what do you think their Achilles heel is? How do you beat the Titans? First of all, the Titans have used an NFL record 88 players. That's in a non-strike season. That's because of injuries and COVID-19. And at one point, you had Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, and Julio Jones out. If you took the top two receivers and running back out of Cincinnati, where would Joe Burrow be? If you did that with any Justin Herbert, any of these quarterbacks, where would they be? So injuries is their Achilles heel. But Tannehill threw four interceptions against the Texans. They had five takeaways overall. You know, that's a surefire uh, recipe for disaster. It hasn't happened since. At one point, before A.J. Brown came back, Tannehill had 14 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, and now Brown's been back, and they've won their last two games to be 11-5. and five. So 
I think the best way to beat them, you either have to force a lot of turnovers, as the Texans did, or you have to beat them at their game, which is pound the ball and keep their offense on the sideline. And the Texans are 32nd in rushing, so I don't think they're going to be able to do that. But I didn't think they'd be able to do it against the Chargers either. But the Chargers' run defense was awful. The 49ers' defense was really good, and the Titans' defense is really good as well. General, you brought up Mike Vrabel, and you you made a point as you were talking about how they win, and it made me think about Coach of the Year this year because this this award for Coach of the Year, it's to me, it's kind of hard to figure out because okay, Matt Lafleur in Green Bay won has won thirteen games, looking for fourteen on Sunday. Okay, well he's got Aaron Rodgers. You go around the league, Cliff Kingsbury had Arizona out fast, and then they had a big win against the Dallas Cowboys in which they didn't have Hopkins. They didn't have Watt. They didn't have some of those players. They came up with a big win on the road. So you can make a case for Cliff. Sean McVay should be in there. Zach Taylor, what he's done with the Bengals, but he's had his guys all year long. The Titans lost an MVP candidate, and Vrabel has the Titans in a position with one win to be the number one team in AFC. With that loaded statement, who is the coach of the year in the NFL in your opinion? Well, I wrote a column about that yesterday, that Vrabel and John Robinson, their GM, should be, get strong consideration for coach and, general, coach and executive of the year because of the things you mentioned, John, and, and, uh, and using that record number of players. And when I look at their offense, see Ben Jones at center and David Quisenberry at right tackle, and they're kicking butt running the football. And uh, you don't want Ryan Tannehill to have to throw it 40 times on the road now, remember last year in overtime in Nashville, he had a great game from start to finish, and it was him uh, just as responsible for that victory as Derrick Henry, who has rushed for at least 200 yards three consecutive games against the Texans, as you guys know. But uh, I think Vrabel, it's coming down to Vrabel and Zach Taylor. The voters usually like to pick a coach of the year whose team has made the biggest improvement in, in wins. And Rabel has not. You know, they were 11-5 and five last year. But if the voters analyze the things we're talking about, I don't know how you can't finish first and second. As far as Matt LaFleur being the first Packers coach to win 13 three years in a row, and he's done a good job, but I don't think he's a coach of the year candidate over Mike Rabel and Zach Taylor. It's amazing, though. He could win 40 games in his first three years. Huh. 40. Unbelievable. And we remember him when he was, what was he here? Yep. Offensive quality control? Offensive guy who sweeps up after everybody. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was unbelievable the rise that he had, but good for him, and he's got Aaron Rodgers. But, look, there have been great coaches who have had great quarterbacks. We've seen them, and uh, he deserves a lot of credit. General, I heard you and Ron talking about Davis Mills, and – the point came up, he was comparing Mills to, and I don't want to have a debate with Ron while he's not on the air, but he was comparing Mills to other really good young quarterbacks. But you made a good point about the team around Davis. I don't want to crush this team, but, you know, Mahomes steps into a team that is loaded. They were just juiced. Even Deshaun Watson steps into this team. They're coming off back-to-back division titles. It, the team you're with does have a lot to do with your progress, right? Absolutely, and and my point on – on Davis Mills, I do not know enough from seeing him and talking to people. Nobody knows if he's going to be a great quarterback. They don't, but they think they've seen enough of him on the field, off the field. They see him in meetings. They see how intelligent he is. They see how his teammates react to him. 
They see how he reacts to negativity. They see him in ways we don't. And he will be the quarterback next year. I think they'll sign a veteran. It's not going to be Baker Mayfield, or I hope it's not Jimmy Garoppolo. But I think he will be the quarterback. And maybe they sign Tyrod Taylor to another one-year deal, or they look for somebody that's been durable. I've been wishing they'd go get Case Keenum again. I think he'd be great to come in here and and work with uh, Davis Mills. And this time next year, we'll know. And if he's not the guy, then Nick Casario will do everything he can to get the guy. But uh, I think they're going to build around him, and they believe in him enough to believe he deserves a second season. Can, you know, Tom Brady didn't play as a rookie. Nobody had any idea he could do what he did. And I'm not saying he's going to be Brady. I'm just talking there's been a lot of quarterbacks who played a whole lot worse or didn't play than Davis Mills has. If you took Mac Jones and you gave him this running game and this defense, would he be better than Mills? And if Mills was up there with a good running game and a great defense, I don't think so. I think that we have to take into consideration what is around him. And they're 32nd in offense. They're 32nd in rushing. And if his running game was just 15th, would that help him? Of course it would. And if the defense was better, would that help him? Of course it would. I think for a third-round pick who only played, only started 11 games in college and was thrown to the wolves in the second game when they never had any intention of doing that, I think he's made enough progress to for to be impressive. 10-11 games at Stanford this year would not have done a quarter of what he's gotten this year as a rookie uh, with the Houston Texans. And looking forward to seeing what he can do Against the Tennessee Titans, I told Ron they got to score in the second half. The second half scoring this year has been ridiculous, so they got to try and they got to score in the second half. The general I asked you about Coach of the Year earlier. The opposite end of that spectrum is what happens on Black Monday when the owners and the GM sit down with coaches. Which coaches do you think across the league are in the worst amount of trouble? as it pertains to their job. Matt Nagy feels like it's uh, going to happen, but where else do you think we should keep our eyes peeled for coaches that may not be back in 2022? I think Mike Zimmer's gone after eight years in uh, Minneapolis. And you think that with Case Keenum, they were 13-3. and three, And then since Kirk Cousins has come there, they've, they've I don't know, been in one playoff game or won a playoff game. But I think he's gone – Vic Fangio's campaign to keep his job in Denver. He's got a great defense. He needs a quarterback. They were in the running for Deshaun Watson until the lawsuits piled up. I think they will be again. I hope Vic gets to come back because if you bring in a new coach and you bring in an offensive coach, the defense could suffer. Matt Nagy, he, uh, you know, he was brought there because he's a quarterback guru who worked with Andy Reid, even though Andy Reid called the plays. Everybody thinks he's gone. Uh, Rich Passaccia and, and – uh, Oak, I mean, in Vegas, he's done a really good job. They've won three in a row. If they win that game against the Chargers in Las Vegas, they're in the playoffs. I don't know how Mark Davis, the owner, in good conscience, could bring in another coach. He's earned it. And Joe Judge with the Giants, the Giants played one of the worst games in history Sunday. And he looked kind of off his rocker with his 11-minute rant after the game, and he's been getting killed. You know, the Mara's going to have a new GM you know when a new GM comes in, he's going to want to hire his own guy. So if Joe Judge comes back, then he'll probably be out in another year. That's another team that should be interested in Deshaun Watson because Daniel Jones hasn't been worth the pick uh, that Dave Gettleman picked him where he did six or whatever it was overall. But And I don't think Matt Rule's gone after two years into a seven-year contract. 
I think he'll kind of be on notice. He also needs a quarterback, and they were interested in Watson before. You know, it'll be interesting to see if Deshaun approves somebody besides Miami. Would it be Carolina, 200 miles from his hometown? And watching Tua Tungavaloa, I don't know anybody that thinks the Dolphins wouldn't be a whole lot better off with Deshaun Watson and Tua Tungavaloa. And plus, the fact that Tua gets hurt every year, so I fully expect Miami to be back in the running. But uh, for a while, people thought Brian Flores might get fired. Three years, no playoff appearances, but uh, I think he's safe. John, who do you forecast being the head man in Jacksonville? Do you have any vibe on that or any information? A friend of mine called me today who's covered them a long time, and he said, there's all this stuff out there about Bill O'Brien. And I said, here's what I'll tell you about Bill. Trent Baalke is the general manager. I read that the Shot Khan's family really believes in him. He's involved in the interviews, so it looks like he's going to be a general manager. If he recommended Bill, how long till Bill started wrestling for control of personnel from him? You guys know that. I know that. I do not see a GM unless it's somebody like Bill Belichick or somebody who has got his feet planted firmly on the ground for years, bringing in Bill knowing how bad he'd want to have control of personnel. Yeah, it would certainly happen. There's no doubt. General, who's the 2021 NFL MVP? Oh, Aaron Rodgers is going to run away with that. Back to Jacksonville, I think with Urban Meyer, I could see them going, instead of a coordinator with no experience, hiring a guy like Doug Peterson, Todd Bowles, two former NFL head coaches. Bowles won 10 games one year as a head coach. Doug Peterson won a Super Bowl. He's a quarterback specialist. He's been able to interview in person, as did Jim Caldwell, because both of them are out out of jobs. Others did Zooms. So it won't surprise me at all if Doug Peterson doesn't come back there. Help me out with all the Mike Tomlin haters out there, General. I mean, I just I understand that they haven't won championships on a consistent basis, but they win. And I know he's had Roethlisberger, one of the best ever, and Roethlisberger's done. But what about the Steelers situation, General? I know that they have very slim hopes here of making the postseason, but they have a pretty good shot at a winning season at 9-7-1 and one if they could beat Baltimore this weekend. They're not going to fire Mike Tomlin, but if they did fire Tomlin in the morning, no, let's say he fired him at 1 o'clock, he'd have a job by sundown. <laughs> and so they know that. And now they got to get a quarterback. And if I'm a quarterback, I want to go to Pittsburgh. Don't you know Kenny Pickett, the Pitt, would love to stay there? You're going with a great organization, a consistent winner. They always have a good defense. They're going to have the defensive player of the year in T.J. Watt. That is a great destination. Now, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going anywhere in the last year of his contract. I think he'll get a big extension like he wanted to begin with. And then Russell Wilson, story today, I want to win Super Bowls, and I want it to be in Seattle. But if I were a veteran and I could go somewhere, I'd want to go to Pittsburgh. If I was Deshaun Watson, I'd tell my agent, David Mulligetta, tell the Texans, I'll waive my no-trade clause to go to Pittsburgh. And uh, because every quarterback should want to be there. Yeah, I don't know if Pittsburgh's grand friendly, but that's beside the point, General. Pittsburgh did pass on a former Pitt quarterback many, many eons ago. It would have been Dan Marino. Sort of, yeah, it would have been fascinating to see Dan Marino take over as the Pitt quarterback. If anybody out there can name who was actually drafted, you either one of you know who was drafted for Pittsburgh? 
He has the oh, greatest nickname of all time, and he played in the Southwest Conference. Who was it? Anybody? Craig Ironhead. Senior sack Gabriel oh, oh, Rivera. Yeah. He was paralyzed. Yes. Yeah. Senior, Unfortunate. They, he got yeah. fat, and they called him Senior Snack. <laughs> he did. <laughs> uh, along those lines, General, in the AFC North, how do you see this marriage with Baker Mayfield and Kevin Stefanski and the Cleveland Browns going forth? Is it ended after this year? What do you think happens in Cleveland? First of all, if they do that, who are they going to get? And who's going to want to trade for Mayfield? All that stuff about him coming here is BS. He's not coming here. I think they'll play. He's had the surgery. He was hurt since that return against the Texans. His arm was his passing was off target. Most of the year, he plays in a stadium where the wind blows like hell anyway. I think he'll be back for the fifth year uh, on his contract. And if he doesn't play well, they could trade him before his contract expires or they could franchise him if they couldn't reach a new deal. But there's no way he's getting a contract extension after the way he's played. John, Raiders and Chargers on Sunday night. This is a pure play-in game, win and you're in. I know there's a scenario that they could both tie and both take knees the whole game and both get in, but let's not go there. So who do you think? Who do you like in this one, General? A lot of people are picking the Chargers. Last time I saw the Chargers, the Texans were kicking their butt. And the Raiders have won three in a row. They're at home. They're going to have fans there like crazy. And I'm, I'm going with the Raiders. Great success story after their losing streak. Everybody counted them out. That would be four victories in a row and they would be in the playoffs. I'm going with the Raiders. Generally, we played the 49ers on Sunday. They went with Trey Lance. Jimmy Garoppolo is back at practice. If you're Kyle Shanahan and you've mm. got a pick, if they're both healthy, what are you doing on Sunday against the Rams in a winner? Win and get in the playoffs game for the 49ers. Well, they go with Garoppolo. They're not going to put Trey Lance in that situation God, if no. Garoppolo is, is healthy enough to play. Garoppolo's been in the Super Bowl. He's been in playoff races. And so that's what they that's what they would want. But he's out after this season. And they'll, the Trey Lance era began against the Texans. And I remember the Texans were within 10-7 early in the fourth quarter in that game. And, uh, and But I think that uh, Garoppolo will play if he can grip the ball well enough. John, in eight of the 12 Texans' losses, they were within a touchdown or less – in the final quarter. In eight of the 12 losses, obviously they have four wins. There were four blowouts. Even in those blowouts, and three of them, they were only down a couple of scores at the half at, at the most. But you tell me, is this season better than you thought it was going to be record-wise and performance-wise? About the same. I know it's probably different because it's always a little different. You never know how it's going to play out. How would you assess it? In October in the Chronicles football section, I went over each game. I had them. 4-12 and 12 going into the last game against Tennessee. And I wrote, Tennessee will have home field advantage wrapped up. Mike Vrabel will bench all his starters, and the Texans will win. So I'll be off by one game. I had no idea they'd beat two playoff teams or two teams like the Chargers and the, and the Titans. And they were underdogs both times against the Jaguars, six and five and a half. And they beat them like crazy. And people go, oh, well, that was – Jacksonville, but they was thought their roster was thought so little of. The odds makers made them a decisive underdog. So I think they've had their moments as far as those games in the fourth quarter. Talent, 
probably took over for the opponent because the Texans don't have the talent as most other teams. And Nick Casario is going to be really busy with the draft and free agency and try to narrow that gap. General, what do you have going out of the Chronicle? I've got the column I wrote tomorrow about players that I believe should be re-signed. I've got one today that I think David Culley deserves another year and why. And on Sunday, Brooks Cabino will have a tremendous story on Brandon Cooks, the Texans' best offensive player this year. All right, John, thanks so much for joining us, and we appreciate uh, listening to you a lot the last couple of days. Thank you guys very much. You guys know how much I love talking on the radio. Thank you, and I will see you Sunday. All right, well, we love having you on. Thank you the General John McClain from the Houston Chronicle. All right, coming up, who's better? We do it every Thursday night. We've got NFL coaches. We've got players. We've got off-season activities. It's all coming up on Texans Radio. Download the Texans mobile app for news, videos, alerts, and more on your Houston Texans. What do you call a group of friends who spend every Sunday huddled around the TV for hours, wearing horns on their heads and blue and red paint on their faces, jumping with a Miller Lite in one hand and a hot barbecue short rib in the other, while proudly chanting, we are Texans. You call it Miller time in Houston. Here's to the Texans. Here's to the original light beer. It's Miller time. Celebrate responsibly. 2021 Miller Brewing Company, Fort Worth, Texas. Fort Worth, Texas. Fort Worth, Texas. Don't miss a moment of your Houston Texans 365 days a year. Download the Houston Texans mobile app. Oh, so great to have you listening. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. Bonus hour coming up at 7 o'clock as we'll do a little best of Andre Johnson there and also Glover Quinn and Andre Davis, who I really miss. I wish Andre Davis lived in Houston, played wide receiver and was a good return man for this team. A couple of kickoff returns for a TD in the season finale of 07 to enable the Texans to go 500, so we'll hear from them. All right, John Harris, let's play Who's Better? Let's do here it. Here we go. We're going to start with the Watt brothers here, two of them, not Derek. We're leaving him out of this. Okay. But who's better, J.J. or whatever T.J. has done and will do from here? Who's better? Do it. Man, it's like trying to pick which family member <laughs> do you love most. It's, yeah. man, it's, it's tough. I, I think, I, I think J.J., I think it's J.J., I mean, obviously, I'm biased watching him, but that dude was a jungle cat, 290 pounds. He rushed from inside. He rushed from outside. Uh, I mean, there were times he was double, triple teamed. He was three-time defensive player of the year. He had 20 sacks. How many times did he had 20 sacks? Three times, I think. He got the 20 sacks. I mean, look, TJ got the 21 and a half, and he's going to continue. His career is going to get better. But we thought that about J.J. Uh, coming out of the 2015 season. Like, man, he's won three Defensive Player of the Year's awards in in five years. Man, what's coming? And then all of a sudden, you know, his body started breaking down because of the pounding he took for the first five years. When he was fully healthy after that, 2018, boy, he was exceptional. 2019, for the first half of the year, there were people around the league that I, that I talked to were like, man, he's just as good as he's ever been. So, J.J. stayed on a pretty high trajectory. He just missed 16, he missed 17, he missed half of 19, and that obviously took away from the numbers. But to me, on the field, 
I would much rather have to handle TJ than to face and try and limit JJ, if that makes sense. So I'm going to go JJ over TJ. All right, so TJ's wrapping up season five. And go with me on this. Is it possible that JJ's playoff prowess is a real difference maker here? And I say the answer is a resounding yes. Because he had two and a half sacks his rookie year in the postseason. That's after having, I think he only had five or something in the entire regular season his rookie year. He erupted in the postseason. He was dynamic. And the second year, too, made noise in the postseason uh, in 2012. And check this out. The last time the Texans were in the playoffs, he yeah. makes the game-changing pivotal play, sacking right. Josh Allen, forcing a field goal try, enabling the <laughs> Texans to start their comeback down 16 in the second half. I think Watt, J.J. Watt, in the playoffs, huge. And here we are with T.J. on the Steelers, and they can't get out of it. They can't get out of jail here. They didn't make it, what, last year they lost a wild card round to right, the to Browns, Browns, right? And then this year, uh, they need a lot of help to get in. It's probably not going to happen. They made it in 2017 as well, but still, you get my drift. Yes, I do. And by the way, when J.J. made that sack, who did ESPN first show on the screen after the sack? T.J. Watt was up in the suite watching that game. And he got uh, got plenty of TV time in that game, that's for sure. Mm. I like how they support each other. Okay, next question. Who's better, NFL head coach Pete Carroll or Sean Payton? I love this because a lot of this is Ooh. about brand name recognition, but you tell me. You want some numbers first before you answer? Ooh. Yeah, go, go okay. ahead. Okay, so wins, wins, Sean Payton, 151 and 89. He's got a 63%, I'm going to round up, winning percentage. Pete Carroll, 151-104. Winning percentage, 59%. I rounded down. All right. Peyton, more recent losing seasons in 14, 15, and 16, all trips to the Greenbrier. He goes 7 and 9 each of those campaigns. He's 8 and 8 heading into the final weekend here. We all know that he did really well the last four years with Drew Brees, but still unable to get to where they really wanted to go. They haven't been to the Super Bowl since. 09, they were 13 and 3. He's put up more 13 and 3 type seasons than Pete Carroll, but Pete Carroll has been to the Super Bowl more recently, won it more recently, that sort of thing. Go. I got to win a game of going Sean Payton. And by the way, if the Saints happen to win this weekend and the Rams beat the 49ers, I believe the Saints get in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. He won't win the coach of the year. But Sean Payton should. He has nothing at the quarterback position. Absolute zip, zilch, nada at quarterback. Nothing. He had Alvin Kamara out for, I think it was probably three or four games in the middle of the season. He had nothing. And they are a Jimmy Garoppolo two-interception game and eking one out in Week 18 from making the playoffs. There is no way in Hades the Saints should be making the playoffs in 2021 with all they've been up against, and Sean Payton has nearly gotten them there. The three seasons that I, I have a hard time like rectifying in my head are those 14, 15, 16 years. I don't – I just that – one, that one's hard. But they were robbed of going to the Super Bowl in 2018. I mean, completely 
and flat out robbed. Yeah, they the Rams should have never got there. That should have been a Saints Patriots Super Bowl of Breeze versus Brady, and we were we were robbed of that uh, because the the lack of a call that that should have happened. And the Saints run the clock out, kick a field goal, and they go. Uh, it, there's no. I mean, Peyton should have gone to another Super yeah, Bowl at that good point. point. I'm taking Sean Peyton. Look, I love what Pete Carroll's been able to do at both USC and Seattle. No, no doubt about it. I, I think his positive demeanor shows that it can be done in the NFL with some positivity, um, with some love for competition. And I think Pete Carroll created that up in Seattle. And I think he's done a fab- fabulous job. I got to win one game. I want Sean Payton. Yep. All right. Well said. They both have the same number of wins. Wild. Uh, and I agree with you on the quarterback situation. Although the Ian Book family would like to have a word. Uh, oh. but no, Okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I said it during draft weekend. You know this. When he was drafted, I'm like, that's a massive mistake. It's a yeah, massive you mistake. Did. You did. I mean, Sean Payton didn't need to have Ian Book. There's no way. Now, Sean Payton, and this you could fault him for this, Sean Payton did draft Ian Book. Yeah, I know Mickey Loomis is a GM, but Sean Payton makes that decision. And he drafted him in the fourth round. If he got him in the seventh round, eh, he should have gone with Sam Ellinger at that point if he wanted a yeah. quarterback that couldn't throw but could, could run. Sam Ellinger was that guy, and I think Sam throws the ball better than, than people think, and he throws it better than Ian Book. So from that magnet, from that standpoint, you can fault Sean Payton for drafting Ian Book, but I ain't putting Ian Book on Sean Payton, that's for sure. But Ian Book won a lot of games. So you're saying that the long well, well, talent. Are you diving into quarterback wins now? <laughs> I mean, right, seriously? Stop. I mean, Ken Dorsey would like to work because Ken Dorsey had a lot of quarterback wins in Miami. Uh, okay. It didn't go so well in the league. I know. Quarterback well, wins I, in college mean absolutely You didn't let me finish, bubbish. though. I, I was going to say, you're saying Notre Dame's talent is better than <laughs> the Longhorns has been when Ellinger was there? All right. Isn't it obvious? Just listen to the draft. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. How many names from the University of Texas did we call last year? I Sam mean, Cosme. my gosh. Please. I mean, I can't believe it. You sit here in the hotbed of all hotbeds. Okay. But don't get me started on that. Yeah, Who's better? We're still playing this thing. Rookie quarterbacks, Johnny. We've asked different versions of this question throughout the year, but we'll go who's best first rounders. All right. So Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Mac Jones. Who do you got right now moving forward? Moving forward. You've seen them all a little bit. Yep. Who's your guy moving forward out of those first rounders? So we're going to leave Mills out of it. Trey Lance. Ooh. And here's why. A, physically gifted beyond, I mean, I, I, it's hard to even explain seeing him live. I knew he was talented. I knew he was, you know, had the size, the arm, everything. Seeing him up close. And our buddy Mike Meltzer disagreed with me. I, I, I had seen a tweet from James Palmer saying something about Jimmy Garoppolo back at practice, didn't do a whole lot, he's limited. I said, it doesn't matter. It should be Trey Lance going forward. Trey Lance, you gain nothing from the 49ers if Jimmy Garoppolo gets on a run in the playoffs and takes him all the way to the Super Bowl, even wins the Super Bowl. I just don't think that – first of all, I don't think he could do that. I don't think he can do well, that. Well, that's the thing. If he does that, well, thank you. Yeah. Now it's, now, it's a whole different discussion if that ends up happening. I know you didn't mean it that way. Yeah, that, yeah. but – my point being, what but I you're saw saying it's Lance, not worth going a round or two. With, yeah, don't yeah, don't do it with Jimmy. You can just keep going with Trey Lance, Trey Lance, and and 
and, and that's the other side of this. The other one would be Mac Jones. Well, Mac's got a pretty solid supporting cast around him. The offensive line's pretty good. He's got a run game that's pretty solid with Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson. And he's got some pretty consistent weapons to throw to. He doesn't have a Randy Moss out there, but he's got a lot of consistent dudes and two really good athletic tight ends in New England. Trey Lance has that same thing. He's got a good offensive line. Elijah Mitchell's been very good in the run game. He's got Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, and George Kittle. He's got a tremendous supporting cast. Oh, by the way, he's got Kyle Shanahan calling plays for him. Trey Lance's best set up to succeed out of that group of the first-rounders. Now, we'll see what happens in Jacksonville, who they surround Trevor Lawrence with, and we'll see what happens in Chicago, presumably, if Matt Nagy is not there, to see who takes over to help Justin Fields. But as of right now, to me, the formula is best with Trey Lance, with all that he has around him. And you could see it. I mean, I, you saw it, Mark. We saw it in the, in the second half. Now, obviously, the Texans wore down a little bit, but Trey Lance started getting comfortable in that second half, and it was like, uh-oh, I can see where this thing is going, and the NFC West is not going to like it in due time. He started twice in 730 days. Give that joker some time to start week to week to week to week and see what he's able to do with all those weapons around him. Okay. All right, Johnny. I got one more for you. You're going to tell me after the break. Off-season activity, what's better, Senior Bowl or Combine? Tell me that next. And give me a key to the game, too, for Sunday as the Texans play the season finale against the Titans at noon Sunday at NRG Stadium. Fan Appreciation Day. HoustonTexans.com has your tickets. It's Texans Radio. For the most in-depth coverage of your favorite team and players, check out HoustonTexans.com. Teachers and parents, are you looking for an educational resource to keep your students engaged? The Houston Texans Toro and ConocoPhillips have partnered together to provide Toro's Math Drills. Toro's Math Drills is a free video series that will challenge your students to math topics like fractions, multiplication, division, and place value. All while having fun. Sign up today for free at HoustonTexans.com on the Kids School Program page and run your students through Toro's Math Drills. Presented by ConocoPhillips. Go Texans! Go Texans! Go! Going somewhere? The Texans mobile app. Don't leave home without it. Johnny, one quick thing about Coach of the Year. I think Kingsbury deserves a little bit of a hat tip at the very least because he was without his studs murray hop for a while murray came back hops not he won games with colt mccoy and connor doing well for them they went two and one with those guys they bounced back last week with the win over dallas uh who knows what happens this weekend but i think he certainly deserves some credit some acknowledgement here I think so, too. I mean, look, you got the Cardinals in the playoffs, and uh, I'm trying to remember the last time they were in the playoffs. So, he got him. look, he got him in the playoffs. I think when you look at the, the history of what Cliff has done, I think that's – and, of course, that's bringing in his days at Texas Tech. Great starts, not so great finishes, and that has – uh, that, I think, has stained this year a little bit, but I think – that win against the Cowboys on the road, actually not really on the road for Kyler Murray. I mean, that's right back home for him. Getting the win, he's never lost at, at Jerry World. I think he's 8-0 or 9-0 at Jerry World. But that win for Cliff stemmed the tide, and I, I don't want to say it flipped it completely the other way, 
But I think what hurts Cliff in some sense is they got out to such a big lead, and they they're not going to win the NFC West. I don't believe. I think they've got to get the Niners. I, I think there are a couple of things that could get them yeah. a win. They could get them a win, but I, boy, Rams 49ers becomes really really interesting to me. I think if Cliff if they beat Seattle and the 49ers win and the Cardinals end up winning the NFC West, then I definitely think he's under consideration. But as much as it pains me to say it, Mark, I think Vrabel, I mean, Vrabel's done an amazing job. Amazing job. I mean, he's had Derrick Henry for, what, seven, eight games. He was going great guns. It was fantastic. He loses arguably the, the best non-quarterback in the league. And, yeah, they stubbed their toe a little bit, but they beat the heavies in the AFC. They beat the Chiefs. They beat the Bills. Um, they beat the big team. They they ended up, I think, losing to the Steelers. But they beat the 49ers on a Thursday night when I sort of yeah. thought they were dead. I think Vrabel needs absolute, he absolutely needs consideration for it. There's no doubt. How about the Jets beat them, and they were about to beat the Bucks, but they didn't beat the Bucks. Anyway, <laughs> let's go to uh, – all right, so Combine or Senior Bowl, which is better? Give me a quickie. Senior Bowl because it's football. <laughs> I mean, oh, it is. You know it's, I love it's the football. Combine. I know. You know I love the Combine, too. I mean, it's it's like I walked up to Dessert Buffet, and you said, here's Trace Leches, and here's Bread Pudding. Like, pick one. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, seriously, I've never turned either one of them down, ever. So – I just – the Senior Bowl, it, it's football. I mean, it, it's watching the sport we love as opposed to the Combine. You know I love the Combine because you and I – I was talking about this last night. You and I, we talk with Mike Keith. We talk with – you know, the one year – the last time we went, we had all the NFC North voices. So we, I met Paul yeah. Allen for the first time. I met Jeff Joniak. That, to me, is the, the fun of the Combine. And it makes it really, really fun. It gets all of us together in one place. It's really cool um, right. because there's such a lull between those so i i love the combine but the senior bowl is football man it is yeah it's three straight it's days thing. it's 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 football and so i i love it from that perspective but you know how i am at the combine i love watching all the workouts and they are changing some things a few things so i'm curious to see how they change it uh i just wish they wouldn't leave it just leave it in indy i just just leave it in indy it's, it, it's great it there. there leave it it belongs there absolutely all right so sunday last time these two teams met Texans picked off Ryan Tannehill four times. That's a lot to ask for again, but there's going to be no Derrick Henry appearance. So maybe you can slow them down a little bit, but they got Brown back. They got some guys that they didn't have last time, and Foreman's going really good. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think that obviously is the key with Foreman. They're not going to change what they do. I did tell Schrader uh, for KPRC Game Day Channel 2 on the Titans, and I, you know, Deontay Foreman wanted to see his touchdown run in particular. And it's the same play they run with Derrick Henry. Same exact thing. Blocked the same exact way. Everybody gets a hat on a hat. And as Deontay Foreman said, Derrick Henry, they do what they do. And they don't, they don't change. But I think the key to this game is, I mean, as Nick Casario said the other day, you win by scoring points. And I knew exactly what he was saying uh, in answering the question. You better score in the second half. Our second half scoring has been lousy. I texted you the other day what it's been. It's not been good, especially in the third quarter. you got to come out of the third quarter and do something, anything, to score and put points up on the board in the third quarter to get you some momentum going into the fourth. You can't go goose egg, goose egg, third quarter, fourth quarter, and expect to beat this team who's playing for number one seed, a bye, all that kind of stuff. For the third year in a row, they have something on the line, 
for the first time in three years, you got to send them home unhappy. But you got to do it mm. by scoring some points in the second half. Good stuff, Johnny. Looking forward to the show tomorrow and all the keys. Coming up, hour number two, a bonus hour of Texans All Access tonight with some Where Are They Now stuff. Glover Quinn, Andre Davis, and best of Andre Johnson. We caught up with him talking about the Hall of Fame, his career, and then some. It's all coming up. Thank you, Johnny. Have a great day, everyone. Stay tuned. The bonus hour of Texans All Access on the way on Texans Radio. This is Texans Radio on Sports Radio 610. And we're back with breaking news. The new Coke Zero Sugar might be the best Coke ever. That's right, Jim. With an improved taste and zero calories, the new Coke Zero Sugar is a must-try for any Coke fan. So make sure you... Jim. <laughs> Jim. We're on the air. Ooh, yes, this tastes like the best Coke ever to me. Your thoughts, Jen? Well, can I have a sip? <laughs> Jen, we're in the middle of reporting the news. I need to try it first. Here's the snap, four-man rush. Firing downfield and got a man. Rock and roll. Touchdown, Texans. Game day is every day. Yeah, nice ball, nice ball. Five nights a week, the hits keep on coming. There's a sack. Wow, he's bringing down the quarterback. Now, it's Texans All Access, presented by Mattress Firm. A bonus hour of Texans All Access tonight. No games on Thursdays anymore. So let's get to some more Texans All-Access with Andre Johnson. The best of Andre, and don't forget, he's the home field advantage captain in Sunday's game against the Titans. Noon kick at NRG Stadium. Andre Johnson will lead the Texans out of the tunnel. Can't wait for that. You'll also hear him on the pregame show at 11.15. Looking forward to all the festivities on Sunday. Some tickets remain at HoustonTexans.com, Texans and Titans. Here's Andre Johnson. Earlier in the week, we visited with him and asked him about his reaction to being a finalist. To be honest, um, it really hasn't set in yet. Uh, I just, um, you know, it's out of my control. And, you know, I just try to control the things I can and, that was going out and playing playing a game the way it should be played and things like that, you know, just having a, a great career. And, um, you know, just to even be a finalist um, for the Hall of Fame, it's, uh, it's very humbling, man, just to, you know, even be in that position. So um, I'm just embracing it and, you know, just taking it one day at a time, step by step. Andre, now that you've reached this step, I know you talked about when you're playing, you, you play your butt off and you just be, you play and you compete, but have you started to envision what it might be like to be on stage, to see your bus? Have you started to kind of envision those things now that you've reached this stage of being a finalist for the Hall of Fame? Yeah, you know, um, to be honest, I never um, – I used to get asked about it all the time, and I used to always say I would – I never really thought about it, you know, because, you know, when you retire, you know, you have to wait five years um, to even be considered, you know, for the Hall of Fame. So um, I think now, you know, being a finalist, I think more about it. Um, of course, now being a finalist, I hear more about it everywhere I go. You know, people congratulate me and, you know, telling me, you know, they hope I get in on the first ballot and things like that. So I hear it every day now um, since uh, becoming a finalist. So, uh, you know, it's, just, it's definitely something you think about. 
Um, I think about it more now than I ever have. Well, you've been on a bit of a Hall of Fame tour, really, Andre, because you were in the Houston Sports Hall of Fame, got inducted last spring, Texas Sports Hall of Fame before that. I was with you in 2014 when you got inducted into the Miami Hurricanes Sports Hall of Fame. What's it been like to get into those halls? And i got to imagine it kind of gets you ready for the big moment, possibly, with the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Well, I think any time um, you can go in the Hall of Fame, uh, you know, no matter what level it is, you know, college, high school, um, you know, even the Texas Sports Hall of Fame, uh, you know, it's it's a tremendous honor. Um, you know, it just shows all the hard work and dedication you put into your craft. And, you know, that it all paid off. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, the NFL Hall of Fame is, you know, the probably the, the, the biggest accomplishment, you know, you can make, you can have uh, other than winning the Super Bowl. So, um, just like I said, just to be considered a, uh, you know, just to be a finalist, man, it just is it's very humbling. Um, you know, like I said, it still really hasn't set in yet, you know. So, I, I, like I said, I get asked about it all the time. You know, sure. everywhere I go now, you know, people are just, you know, talking about it. So, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just embracing the moment and, you know, hopefully, you know, we can take that next step and get in the camp. And there's so many people in the city of Houston, Andre, that are, you know, so, so proud of you and, What I find fascinating is you're from Miami, you went to the U, but if people were to ask about Andre Johnson, they're like, oh, no, he's a Houstonian. He's a Houstonian. You've clicked for some reason in this particular city. Like, people gravitate. Like, you're of Houston. Like, when Akeem Olajuwon came here in the 80s, I mean, he played his college ball in Houston. Yeah, he's from Nigeria, but he plays college ball in Houston. That attached him to the city. You came from Miami and just played ball. And you're now more Houstonian, or thought of as a Houstonian, maybe even more than you are uh, a native of South Florida. Does that? How does that make you feel? Well, it's funny because uh, you know sometimes um, you know being a Miami guy, you know I root for the Heat, you know, and stuff like yeah. that <laughs> in basketball. So uh, sometimes when people see me post something about the Heat, you know, they take it personal. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because, like, I think they forget that I'm from Miami. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, now people, you know, people think, I guess because I've been here so long, and like you said, just, you know, I've just kind of clicked with the city. Uh, you know, people think that I'm from Houston. <laughs> and, you know, some you, it's funny because you would read some of the comments and people would be like, do you not realize he's from Miami? <laughs> so, um, it's, I don't know, man. It's just something about this city. Um I always tell people from the time I got here, they they embraced me um, like I was one of their own. And uh, you know, I, and in a comment I made uh, the other day when I found out found out that I was a finalist, like when I played um, when I played the game on Sunday, like you know, I always tell people it wasn't just for me. You know, it was it was it was to represent everybody in the city. Um, you know. When I when I went out on that field and played, you know, it wasn't just about me. It wasn't just about my teammates. Um, you know, I always embraced the challenge to put this um, organization on the map. And, you know, like I said, it wasn't just about me. It was about everybody. You know, it was about this whole city of Houston. Um, because many people didn't respect us when I first got here. And, you know, the way I played the game, I wanted people to respect us. And, 
you know, give us our just due. So, uh, you know, that's what motivated me every day um, to go out and compete the way I did. And he gave us so many unforgettable moments. Andre Johnson joining us on Texans Monday. Andre, Reggie Wayne is a finalist as well. You guys were on the same campus together. Your careers overlapped so long. He started in 01. You started in 03. You were in the same division. Have you talked to Reggie at all about this? He has previously said you are definitely a Hall of Famer. Have you talked to him? Yeah. yeah um, the day that the um, finalist list came out, um, I text him, and uh, you know, it's you don't see two uh, two guys from the same position going to hall at the same time, especially not the receiver position. Uh, so, you know, I told him, I said, man, you know, I wish things could be different this year. We both can go in at the same time. You know, um, you know, Reggie was my host when I came to Miami um, on my uh, official visit when I was in high school. So. Man, we have so many um, great memories. He's a great friend of mine, uh, you know, like a brother to me, a big brother to me. Um, you know, we competed against each other um, a lot throughout our career because we were both in the same division. And, uh, you know, like I, I, I've told people before, Reggie deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And, uh, you know, it's just crazy that we both finalists, and, you know, I'm sure it's only one of us that's going to get in, but. You know, no matter who it is, I, and I tell people, you know, if I don't get in this year, you know, I'm okay with it. Um, you know, I'm just happy just to even be considered. So, um, but I, I definitely think Reggie deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Got me thinking. So I pulled it up. Mm-hmm. The 2001 Miami roster. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty good. It's pretty, it's pretty down good when you start looking at it. I mean, even guys that were that were backups on that team ended up being uh, legends. Dre, you, you talked about this a little bit. We talked about the connection to Houston. You were the first to go into the Ring of Honor for the Texans. When you go into the Hall of Fame, whether it's this year or next year, whatever it might be, you're going to be the first Texans player to go into the Hall of Fame. Being the first to do something, does that matter? at all to you does that mean something to you that you were the first to be able to do those things for an NFL franchise um I never really thought about it like that um but I think uh when you are the first to do something um it just uh you know you will forever be remembered um you know you uh you created uh you know a legacy um you know, like the people say, it's almost like immortalizing yourself. So uh, I just, I don't really give too much thought to it, you know, about being the first. But, you know, I think when you are first, you know, it just, uh, you know, it just says a lot. So um, I just, like I said, I just try to embrace every moment. Um, I don't try to overthink things. And, you know, I just kind of let things play out, man. So. You know, like I said, it hasn't really all set in yet. You know, I think, you know, probably I get that knock on the doors when it all settle in. So, um, right now I'm just taking it step by step and just embracing it all. Okay, so put your stake in the ground. 2001 Miami Hurricanes, greatest college football team of all time, yes or no? (laughs) (laughs) You went there. There's no question about it. See? <laughs> I, there it is. I mean, it's insane to look at the people that are on that team. 
Absolutely. It is the greatest team of all time. Hey, the 2000 Hurricanes, Dre, because yeah. that's when you and Reggie were on together, yeah. right? Santana yeah. Moss. Yeah. And yeah. you know, speaking of, of Hall of Fame, I know Anquan Bolden didn't make the finalist list, but he'll have an opportunity yeah. down the line. And you have three guys who are on the field together during wide right three because he played for Florida State. That's pretty strong as well. Wow. Right, right. Yeah, Anquan was a, uh, Anquan was a great player. Um, you know, me and Anquan came out of high school together um, the same year in 99. Uh, we played in the Florida-Georgia game together. He was a uh, – my quarterback. He was a quarterback in high school, yep. so um, great player, tremendous talent, man. Um, always, you know, kept up with him in his career. Um, definitely a guy that's deserving uh, to be in the Hall of Fame. Also, you know, played the game the right way, competed hard, um, very physical receiver. Um, something I always loved about him and his game. Dre, you had a magical dozen years here. I know you were also part of the coaching staff at one point, and we saw you in the McNair suite last Sunday sitting with the McNairs and watching a terrific win for the Texans over the L.A. Chargers. What were your thoughts on being there, being with the McNairs, and also what you were seeing on the football field that day as the Texans beat L.A.? Um, it was great to be back um, in the, just in the stadium in general. Uh, I hadn't um, got a chance to uh, come watch many games over the past few years. Uh, but it was just great to be back, um, sit there with um, Miss Janice and Cal, you know, just talk about the game and things of that nature. Uh, you know, I just watched the team play. Um, you know, at the beginning of the year, you know, there were so many different guys here and that were brought in, free agents and things of that nature. And, you know, I think uh, in that game, you just kind of seen uh, – it just seems like things have kind of like uh, – I guess you could say slow down slow down a little bit. You know, the team seems to be coming together as one. Uh, one thing I've always just noticed about the guys, they go out and compete hard every week. You know, that's never a question. But it just seems like everything just kind of came together on uh, that Sunday when they played against the Chargers. Uh, you know, everything was just kind of clicking – Guys were creating turnovers and things of that nature. So it was a fun game to watch. What are you seeing in Mills so far? That was a good day for him. Rookie quarterback, third-round draft choice. And what are you seeing from him, Andre? Um, I, I think things are starting to um, – the game is starting to slow down for him. Um, you know, you, you can see that in um, in the Chargers game. Um, I didn't. I, I just got to watch the first half of the game yesterday. I couldn't watch the whole game yesterday, um, but you know, I think things are starting to slow down for him. You know, it, that that happens with rookies. Um, they come in. You know, he was kind of. You know, I, I think you know they didn't really expect. You know, uh, probably playing him this year, but you know, the things happen with Deshaun and different things. So. Um, you know, he got through into the fire. And, uh, you know, as a rookie, man, just adjusting from, you know, college to the pro is a, it's a different game. And uh, it's a fat, much faster game. Um, there's, you know, guys in disguise, defense is better and things of that nature. So, uh, I, but I, I think he's improved. Um, I think the game has slowed down for him. He seems to be more comfortable now um, than he was in the beginning of the season. Dre, all this – you know, Hall of Fame stuff for you. We we've known you for for a while. We know it's like 
it, it can be uncomfortable and everybody's like, hey, man, good luck, and they're all talking about that. But I know Houston people are very, very proud, and I know Houston fans all probably have a favorite Andre Johnson moment as a Texan, and it's all different. I think everybody, I think Mark and I would sit here, and we we come up with a million of them. We, are, we probably each have a different one. But from you, the man himself, do you have one that you – you remember more than anything else, like an Andre Johnson moment from Andre Johnson that stands out more than any other? Um, I always tell people my favorite um, memory is uh, winning our first playoff game. Um, yeah. You know, here in Houston against Cincinnati. That was probably um, my favorite uh, moment, um, favorite play was just me, involving me. Um, I would probably say, well, actually, I have two of them. Um, the uh, catch against Washington, the fourth down catch. Yep, right. Um, against Washington, Washington, and the uh, player against Arizona uh, when I ran over the two guys to go into the end zone. Isn't probably my favorite two plays. But degree of difficulty, Dre, don't you think fourth and ten over Jeremiah Bell just plucking that, on his head. Pluck, plucking that ball away from him, that was probably the toughest catch. Am I wrong about that? Can you rate that one for me? Yeah, um, that would that would probably be my third favorite. Okay. Uh, behind uh, Washington and uh, the uh, Arizona play. That would, that would be my third one. Those are the three plays I always – those those three plays are the first three plays that pretty much stick out in my mind when I uh, think about my favorite plays I had throughout my career. There's Andre Johnson, Hall of Fame finalist and the home field advantage captain for Sunday's game at NRG Stadium between the Texans and the Titans. Noon kick for that. He'll lead them out of the tunnel. Some tickets remain at HoustonTexans.com. Coming up, more best of with Where Are They Now? Glover Quinn, former Texan safety, and he started out as a corner. Let's hear from him next on Texans Radio. If you love podcasts and you love the Texans, you'll love our Texans podcasts. Now available on iTunes and HoustonTexans.com. America's most reliable network is going ultra with Verizon 5G Ultra Wideband in more and more places. With up to 10 times faster speeds, you can download a movie in mere minutes. Wait, what? Yes, Verizon is going ultra, so you can too. 5G Ultra Wideband available in select areas. Most reliable based on rankings from the RootMetrics U.S. Root Score Report dated first half 2021, excluding C-band and not specific to 5G networks. Your results may vary. Not an endorsement. Speed comparison to median Verizon 4G LTE speeds. Downloads vary based on network conditions and 5G content optimization. Content optimization. Content optimization. You're listening to Texans All Access. For the latest stories and videos on your Houston Texans, check out HoustonTexans.com. Continuing with our bonus hour on Texans All Access tonight, let's get some Where Are They Now in there. You go to the website, HoustonTexans.com. We have a Where Are They Now section. And you can check out all the great interviews with former Texans players. One of them right here will have a piece of it. Glover Quinn played corner, played safety, played a lot of things with this franchise. Ended up in Detroit as a free agent signee by the Lions. But let's start here. Drew Doherty and Glover talking about 2009 Glover's rookie campaign. 
Yeah, 09 was 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 really crazy, man, because like I said, I think back to think back to opening day, you know, we're playing the Jets. Yeah. And we got beat. I was on the inside. I think I played 17 plays that game and it was tough in there. Came back week two, we played uh Tennessee Titans. It's one of the greatest games I've ever seen. I mean, you guys went down there. <laughs> physically you fist fought. You fought them. I mean, yeah. it went back and forth. It was a great yes. game. Yeah. Went down there and we and we won. But we didn't play like great. You know, I think Chris Johnson had a couple like 98, 92-yard touchdown runs. And there were a couple um, plays where you weren't nobody was even guarding it. <laughs> and I'm not yeah. saying it was your guy to guard, you know, right. but he was just out there and like they, yeah, anyways. But I had played pretty solid in the inside, right? Mm-hmm. So then we came back the third week against um Jacksonville. It was a little different. I only played nine plates that game. I got that start against Oakland in week four. You know, Oakland had just drafted Darius Hayward Bay, fastest guy in the in the combine. They had Jamarcus Russell from I think the year before, quarterback that can throw it the farthest. Yeah, and that's what they matched me up on, Darius Hayward Bay. So I'm going into that game like, okay, I'm the slow, fat DB matched up against this fast, the fastest guy at corner with the big arm, Jamarcus Russell. So I said, you know what? I know I can tackle. I'm not going to let him run past me and, and, and catch a deep ball. I think he might have had two catches for like 20 yards that game, little curl routes. Mm-hmm. I had like seven tackles, like two TFLs, a couple big hits, you know what I'm saying? Like playing my responsibility exactly how, you know, I was supposed to. And boom, it just went from there. The next week, playing Arizona, I think we went out there. Me and Jock was kind of rotating a little bit. I would start, but Jock would come in, and then I would go back in. And then I think after we played Cincinnati, they was like, hey, you starting all the time. Yeah. And that was it. You know, it was a crazy year. We we ended up, I think it was five and seven at one point. Well, yeah, because you, you guys go up to – it was Halloween weekend. You go up to yeah. Buffalo, you'll win. You go to mm-hmm. five and three, and you're going mm-hmm. into the bye, five and three. And then you guys come out of the bye, you lose four, and then you lose win four. the final four. And Arian yeah. Foster emerges at the end of the season. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a bananas, bananas season for sure. Crazy. And like you win on that final day, and it's a noon game, and the game's over, and you guys still are technically in playoff position. Like if mm-hmm. some stuff falls y'all's way, it was a fun season. And then the next year, you you start the whole way through, you play solid. But it was a yeah. tough year for the defense. Tough I mean, it just year. you lose yeah. all those games. What was it like in eleven when Wade comes in and moves you from you're a solid corner, but moves you to a position in which you would wind up just flourishing? I mean, gosh, Glover, you, you finished your career with twenty four interceptions. I mean, that's a lot. What was yeah. it like when he comes in and makes that change for you? How how excited were you? How cautious were you? What did it? What was that like? I mean, I was I was excited because I always had the personality of a safety. Yeah, safeties are the guys on the field that make the calls, that communicate. Corners don't really make calls. Corners just kind of cover their guys. They don't really, you know, you get some of them that are smart, but a lot of corners don't really know a lot or care about a lot. They just know, hey, I'm in man-to-man. Hey, I'm in cover three. I'm in cover two, right? They don't have a ton of stuff. But safeties, you know, they're, they're the ones making all the adjustments. They're making the calls. They're getting everybody lined up. And I always had that personality. So when I was, even when I was at corner, I would want to make calls, but I couldn't because, for one, I was young, and for two, yeah. I wasn't the safety. So I would be, like, looking at the safety, like, bro, you going to make this call? Like, can you not <laughs> see this right here? Like, can you not see what I'm seeing right now? Make the call. How tough you was know? that? No, that was tough. That yeah. was tough. With Wade coming in, you know, I kind of felt like it was also an even playing field, right? We were all yeah. learning the defense. It wasn't like somebody had been there and knew the system more than me. So I kind of felt like it was it was even playing field. 
we had the lockout that year. And so we were able to meet with Wade and them and Vance and all those guys before the lockout, get some information so that we can like start, you know, we used to have like team functions where we would get together at Rice and like, you know, Shab and D'Amico and all those guys. And we yeah. kind of go through our own, we kind of go through our own like OTAs and stuff without the coaches because we was in the lockout year. You know, once the uh, lockout was over with, I think we had drafted J.J. Watt and uh, they signed Jonathan Joseph that year and they signed Daniel Manning that year. Yeah. And so we come, that those guys didn't show up until training camp, but they had to miss a couple of days of training camp because mm-hmm. the deals and stuff didn't get finalized until because of the, the lockout. Right. And we were just kind of learning it. Right. And and Wade's system was pretty cool. It was kind of easy. And, and Vance was a great coach and teacher. He's the, Vance, cool. Vance is the clearest communicator as far as coaches that I've ever encountered. Yeah. And, and there's been a lot of great communicators, yeah. but, but he's been the clearest. I mean, do you, yeah. you kind of agree Vance, with that idea? Yeah. Vance was, Vance was amazing. I, I was like, I learned so much in my career from those two years with Vance and yeah. that I took with me for the rest of my career and coupled it with, you know, some of the DB coaches I had in Detroit, like it yeah. just, you know, propelled my career, but it started with Vance. He kind of opened, he opened my eyes to a lot of things that we could do in the secondary. But as far as it wasn't vanilla, you make your calls, you got, you got different tools in your toolbox and you got to pull them out at the right time. You know, you got to make the call that you think, you know, is going to help you in that situation. And so Vance was really good at that. So I came back my fourth year and I felt really good my fourth year. You know, I had yeah. a year of safety under my belt. Um, I understood the dime a lot better. I understood what they want me to do. I was I was in my fourth year. You know, I was making a little more money. I hit my escalators and my contracts. I was feeling good in year four. You know, safety, I was playing well. Had made a bunch of plays. Made a bunch of plays at, at, the, uh, at the dime position. I caught a couple of picks, forced a couple of fumbles, I think. Made a couple of sacks. You know, we came out rolling. I think we were 7-0 that year, 6-0, something like that. And then we ended up, you know, we got beat pretty good on Sunday night by uh, Green Bay. Yeah. But you went to 11 and one. You went to 11 and one. one. Didn't end the way you want, but. We tricked it off, man. I was talking about that like yesterday. I think we tricked it off those last two games. We only needed to win one Mm -hmm. to be, have home field advantage. And we lost to Minnesota in week 16. And then we lost to Indy in week 17. And so now we go from a potential one seed to the three seed. And that way, you know, we had, we had a home game against Cincinnati. But then we had to go to New England in round two, as opposed to being the home team, and would have had to play Baltimore in the second round because Baltimore went to Denver that year yep. in the freezing cold game, right? But we would have had to play Baltimore, and yeah, Baltimore was rolling that year. They ended up winning it, but early in that season, we had beat Baltimore like forty something. You cold cocked them. You changed their yeah, season. Like, like they had to have yeah. meetings after yeah. the beating you guys like, gave them. Yeah smashed them and so you know we probably would have felt really confident going into that game at home against Baltimore we continue our conversation with Glover Quinn Texans defensive back who played here from 2009 through 2012 that season ends and you wind up signing with the Lions and in retrospect I mean how tough was that for you or were you happy to just be going someplace and getting the money in Detroit? But how tough was it to leave some of your teammates behind, a city that you love behind, where you still live here, franchise, et cetera? What was that like for you? It was tough, man. It was um, that was that was a hard time for me because I really wanted to be here. I wanted to be here. Like I said, I lived, I had a house here, I love the city, great football city. And so I wanted to stay. And, you know, all the way up until 
you know, I guess free agency, you know, what I was hearing from Rick and those guys that they want to be back. They just never really came to the table, you know. And so I go, um, you know, they started doing like the little tampering window, I think, that year. Mm-hmm. Right? So soon as the tampering window opened up, I guess Detroit calls my agent like 12.05 or whatever, you know yeah. what I'm saying? And they wanted me to come out on a visit. They wanted me to come in. And I was sitting there like, what? Detroit? You know, I'm like, bro, I don't want to freaking go to Detroit. Like, the text is not calling you guys. And so he was like, well, you know, he's like, well, you know, we just go out there on a visit. You know, maybe, other, you know, somebody will see like, hey, there's interest from somebody else. Somebody come through with, a, with an offer for you. So I was like, all right, man. So, you know, they have my... Uh, ticket scheduled so that soon as the uh, soon as the official free agency opens up I could uh, get on the flight because I couldn't fly out there beforehand but soon as uh, I think four o'clock eastern time three o'clock Houston time hit they call me boom hey we got you a flight you're leaving Houston at five something so they had already kind of communicated. I had my bags and stuff packed. I was just waiting for the official window to open. So I left. I go to the airport. I go to Detroit. And like I said, I had no plans of signing with Detroit Lions. You know, I really wanted to sign with Houston. And this was kind of a move to hopefully make Houston come with an offer. But, you know, in retrospect, I, I understood the business of football. And I knew it would be tough for them to sign me because they had just paid J. Joe, they had just paid D-Man. Kareem was a first-rounder. So I'm like, that's a lot of money kind of tied up in the secondary. Yeah. So I kind of knew in order for me to stay, somebody would probably have to go, right? I kind of knew that. And so I get to Detroit. They offer me, you know, a deal. And like I said, I didn't I didn't want to take the deal. You know what I'm saying? I, uh, I told my agent, I was like, all right, man. So Detroit made an offer. When Houston didn't want me, I was like, all right, like it, it's a shot to the, to the heart, you know what I'm saying? But it's like, they don't want you. Detroit wants me. I made a decision. I signed with Detroit. And like, I remember coming back home and, you know, Kareem Jackson's a good friend of mine. You know, he was at my house when I got there. You know, I was freaking crying. And like, mm. I, go, I walked through the airport, you know, when I got back to Houston, like I was crying. Like I'm freaking probably getting emotional right now because... Like I said, that was that was just a shot, right? Like, man, they don't even want me. And well, so, uh, some some people didn't. I mean, a lot of people wanted <laughs> you back. A lot, yeah, and, no, I, it, and history has proven that to. It, it was, not, it was the wrong decision. It was the wrong decision. I've, I've heard a lot of stories. I've yeah. heard a lot of stories, and I get it. What they, what they, you know, I guess they were trying to do, because we had made it to the second round of playoffs a couple of years in a row, and from what I heard, they 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 felt like they wanted somebody to help get them over the hump. Right. So they felt like Ed was a guy that could help get them over the hump. But the thing about it, you got to get back to the top of the hump to get over the hump. Right. So you got to play a whole regular season just to get back to the playoffs. And so, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, it ended up working out for me, you know. And, I mean, like you I said, go on, yeah, you go on, you pick off 19 passes just in Detroit. You <laughs> had a hell of a career. I mean, you, you go 10 years, you know, and you wind yeah, up loving I, your, you, you wind up loving the Lions and you make great yeah, memories there. And I, and I think, you know, it ended up being the best decision for me as far as my career, right? Because yeah. I think Detroit, like I said, they wanted me and they wanted to put me in position to like, to make plays. And, and to I lead. Think, right. And to, and to, right. They they wanted me to be like, I remember Mark Mayhew telling me like, hey, we want you to like be the start of changing our culture 
So mm-hmm. that year they signed me, they signed Reggie Bush, they signed this guy named Jason Jones. They was like, we want you guys to like be the start of the culture change here. So I took that kind of personally. But, you know, the thing that I, I thought of was just like, you know, Detroit put me in positions to lead and to like make plays. And I started yeah. to feel like, you know what, if I would have stayed in Houston, I think family-wise, friend-wise, city-wise, it would have been like super cool. But the star power was powerful there, right? You had J.J. Watt, you had J. Joe, you had, you know, first round in Kareem, you had Andre Johnson, you had so Arian, much star yeah. power, Arian. I don't know, and I, and I came in as a rookie, kind of like a do-bar, right? I'm doing a nickel, I'm doing a dime. I'm kind of just like that, that guy that just kind of like, it's the do bar, right? Yeah. Not, not in a bad way, but that just kind of the role that I had. And so I kind of felt like if I would have stayed in Houston, I don't know if I would have ever got put in position to be the star, right? I'd have just, I kind of would have been like that role player, but I don't think I would have ever got put in position to be the guy. Right. Like, right. De- like Detroit put me in position to be the guy. Right. And, you know, so I'm very thankful for. Detroit for doing that and it worked out you know I was able to produce and went to a pro you know, bowl. Had some good years had some good years in Detroit yeah went to pro yeah. bowl led the league and interceptions like man how many people in the world can say that they led the NFL in, in seven like, in crazy. a season man seven yeah Jeez. that's crazy yeah, that. it was crazy it was crazy Glover I want to keep going with you but we got to wrap this up my friend which of your Texans teammates from back in the day do you still keep in touch with, still buddies with? What's that like? Who is it? Yeah, I'm still cool with uh, a lot of those guys. The DB guys, really. I'm, yeah, you know, I'm still cool with, with Aaron. Obviously, I'm still cool with Kareem and J. Joe. I see Brian Cushing around baseball field with our kids. <laughs> I work out with Andre Johnson every now and then. Yep. And me and Zach, we'll, we'll chat a little bit over social media sometimes. So, yeah, I mean, for the most part, they're cool with most of those guys. You know, me and Shaba chat. Back and forth, yeah. Um, on social media, Dan Dan Orlowski played with Dan in Detroit as well. So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm cool with I'm cool. Me and Jacoby Wilch, I seen Jacoby in the airport one time. You know, we talk a little bit. Coach Jacoby, Coach Jones. Jacoby. How yes, about that? Coach Jacoby. Yeah, that's crazy. I love it so, too. Yeah, I mean, those those guys are cool, man. I'm, uh, you know, we see each other, we definitely talk, and like I said, we interact on social media a little bit. And I mean, everybody's busy, man. So it's it's cool. I know it, Glover. You're a good man. Miss you in here, uh, around here. We hope to have you back sometime soon. And it's good to catch up with you. Good to know where are they now, Glover Quinn. There's some where are they now with Glover Quinn. Go to the where are they now page at HoustonTexans.com. Get all the info, all the interviews. In fact, let's hear a piece of another one next. I'm not even going to tell you who it is. Wide receiver. He had two kickoff returns for a touchdown in one game. It's probably not who you're thinking, and it's a great guess. Check it out next here on Texans Radio. Texans All Access continues in a moment. From the slightest bend to complex motions, your body is made to move. At Houston Methodist Orthopedics and Sports Medicine, our teams are using advanced technology and imaging to develop custom treatment plans, and our minimally invasive procedures can help you heal faster. We have the expertise to keep you moving because every movement matters. Find the care you need at locations throughout Houston. Houston Methodist, leading medicine. Leading medicine. Leading medicine. 
are the experts predicting about this week's big game? Extra points, Saturday nights at 10.30 or after the late local news on ABC 13. Our final discussion here at this bonus hour of Texans All Access tonight. Let's do some more. Where are they now? With the Texans set to take on the Titans in the season finale on Sunday. Speaking of season finales, Andre Davis, that's the guest. He once had two kickoff returns for a touchdown in the season finale, and that enabled the Texans to go 500 for the first time ever back in 2007. And Drew Doherty caught up with him to talk about that season and some other campaigns as well, of course, with a really great guest, Andre Davis. 07, 08, 09, I mean, that, those are three 500 or above years you came in and they'd not been winners yet. I mean, what was it like joining a team that first four or five years, six years of their existence, they were losers. You know, you, you help see that type of uh, football change around here. Well, I think as long as we have people like you around Drew to help people to remind people of, of that team that we had back then, we'll yeah. but it, it is special. I think when I was there, my, you know, that first year that I was there, what a lot of people don't know is that, you know, it, it didn't start off that smoothly. Yeah. Um, and this is part of the story that I tell a lot of people is that, you know, I went to Houston believing that I really had an opportunity to help this team and, and to play on an offense and uh, have a chance to help out in the receiving room. And I ended up not even dressing for the first two weeks of that season. So I barely made the team. But they had a starting kickoff return already in Jerome Mathis, who was a pro bowler, I believe, a previous pro mm-hmm. bowler. And the receiving core was pretty well stacked. And, and with me not being able to be a returner, I was kind of left on the outskirts at that point. So once again, having to, to mentally and spiritually kind of get myself under control to say, hey, how can I still go out here? I still got to practice. I still got to prepare week in and week out. Don't know when there's going to be injuries. I've got to prepare myself uh, for when that call does come that I'm ready. And so to really be able to turn that around, that helped me not only be prepared for my opportunity, but it also helped me with a lot of the younger guys where I was trying to give all I could my, at that point, I think five years, six years of experience, share that with a lot of the younger players. And all that did was really prepare me for my opportunity when Andre ended up going down, um, I think, in a Carolina game, hurt his ankle, and he was out for a few weeks. That gave me a chance to play. And then Jacoby Jones went down with a shoulder injury against the Colts, and that gave me an opportunity where it's like, all right, we're down two receivers. You got to play me now, but I have to be ready for those opportunities. And so to be able to go out there and prove to the coaching staff and to all of those players that year that I was someone that you know, could be trusted and could make some big plays. I didn't let that opportunity go to waste. And it was great to see how that team came together and how we were trying to really change the culture uh, of the Texans around. Yeah, you had some some cool names you just brought up. Andre, Jacoby, Kevin Walter was in that wide receiver group. David Anderson played there a little bit. I'm leaving out names, obviously. But who who do you keep up with from those days these days? What Texans teammates are you still in touch with and, and friends with uh, and whatnot? Yeah, you know, every now and then I'm texting Andre because obviously he's he's getting all of these uh, awards that are forthcoming, and As I know should, that golden yeah. jacket is going to be coming up for him pretty soon. Uh, he can get the keys to the city in Houston <laughs> and, and everything else that Andre's got. Obviously, I just send him texts every now and then. When we first got out, I had David Anderson come to an event uh, when I was down in South Carolina. Kevin Bentley, a guy on defense, yeah. I've talked to him a bunch lately. 
really sharp um, guy. What's he? He's uh, we need to get him on this podcast. What's he doing these days? I, I want to say he's still in Atlanta right now. I mean, he's done a lot of school and he's got his MBA. He might be going back for his doctorates. He's been doing the school thing, but he's also um, not sure if he's an entrepreneur or if he's working uh, with some other firms, but he, he's just. He's doing a lot of big He's a mover and shaker and always was, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. You know, everybody else, I think it's with social media, mostly that, you know, you stay in contact with people. Um, You know, once again, like I see Jacoby on there a lot, you know, I'll I'll comment on his stuff. Vonta Leach is doing amazing things in his community and and it's really great. It's on the school board. Yeah. We just had him on this podcast a couple of weeks ago. Vonta Leach, school board member. He's come a long way from being a fullback and being the guy on the mic on the airplane after road games, right? Absolutely. Yeah. He was my, uh, my buddy on the plane too, that I sat next to. So oh, is that right? I didn't realize. Yeah. That. Yeah. So it was, uh, always fun times. He spent three years in Houston as a wide receiver and return man from 2007 through 2009. Here's more from our conversation with Andre Davis. Andre, what's next for you, man? What's you've got the four children. What's the oldest? What's the youngest? Cause I know yeah. I'm asking about who you keep in touch with. Like that's who you're keeping in touch with on a day-to-day basis is your kids. How, how old is, is the oldest? How old's the youngest? Yeah, I've got two boys and two girls. My Congrats. boy, Dalen, is 13. Bryce okay. is 11. Layla is eight. And Noel is six. Oh, that's a good good span there. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. So sports and all sorts of extracurriculars and school has yeah. got you as an Uber driver, being an Uber driver, as you say. Absolutely. I mean, me and my wife, we use Google calendar. It's like, <laughs> if it's not on the calendar, it doesn't exist. Like it has, <laughs> it has to be scheduled to get those sort of things done. But, um, you know, like I said earlier, it's such a blessing to be able to uh, be at home with the kids, to be able to see them at this season of life that, that they're in, you know, two in middle school, two in elementary school right now, which I think will be this is our only year that we'll have to only deal with two schools. You know, after this year, we're going to have high school, middle and elementary, and it'll be that way for the rest <laughs> of our time that we'll have three schools. So um, I'm very grateful for that. And I try not to take this time for granted. A lot of other mentors that I have and other people that I've spoke to who have kids who have grown up, they say, don't try to rush through these seasons. You know, these seasons of life is for a limited time and then they're through it and they're on and they're going to get older and more independent. And so just try to enjoy each of these moments and and get the most you can out of it. So um, I'm trying to do that not only for our family, but for our extended family as well. So you've also, you've had a chance to take some trips abroad and these sound like pretty fascinating ventures. What's, what's been the genesis of that? How did that get going? Yeah. Uh, when I first retired, we moved to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and my financial advisor, his wife, was on the board of an organization called African New Life Ministries. And this organization feeds, clothes, and educates. Now we're over 10,000 children in Rwanda. Oh, wow. um, we help them with uh, educational sponsorships. Uh, we help with health management. We were raising money back in 2009 to build a 12-bedroom clinic. And uh, I believe like two years ago, we just opened up the second largest private hospital in the country of Rwanda. Um, And it's been one of those things that it wasn't something that was ever on my mind originally, but it's amazing that through friendships, through relationships, you find out about certain things and there's certain things that will pull on your heart. And for me, it was the 
how everything kind of came together with faith, with my platform of football, with service of wanting to be able to give back from the things that I learned from Virginia Tech uh, of service. And this just seemed like the perfect opportunity to be able to give back. So 2009 was my, uh, I believe my first trip, or 2011 was my first trip to Rwanda. Mm -hmm. And since then, I've been there five uh, times. Uh, Two years ago, I just led my church here in Delaware. We brought 20 uh, people with us um, to to Rwanda to be able to see everything that they're about, what the mission is about, to see the schools that are open there. Um, And it's just been an amazing thing to be able to give back um, to those in need, to those who, you know, are are truly in extreme poverty, but yet to see how much hope that can be given to them um, when you share with them uh, through acts of compassion, um, Mm -hmm. that you're able to really open up their hearts. And that gives us an opportunity to be able to share uh, our faith with them in those times. So it's an absolutely amazing organization that uh, gives me even more purpose uh, in each and every day. Yeah. And I don't know if your, your children have gotten to go with you or not, but just them hearing about that and knowing that you're gone. Well, why is, why is dad gone and hearing why you're there? I mean, that's, that's gotta be a a heck of a, of of a great lesson for them, you know, a story for them to know about. Right. Absolutely. Uh, Two years ago, when we went with my church, we brought our eldest with us. Mm -hmm. And so Dalen uh, got a chance to go experience it. Um, It's amazing how sport, once again, is the great unifier. (laughs) We we did a a vacation Bible school there where we we were going through health talks. We had like a testimony station. And then we had kind of a kid's station in the afternoon. And my son, once again, speaks, uh, doesn't speak the native language there, which is Kinyarwandan, doesn't speak the language, but just got the kids together in a circle. I think he brought a football with them, throwing it around, throwing a Frisbee with them. And he was by himself, like there were no other adults with him, but to see how he was able to kind of take that on and to be able to unify and find a way to lead in that sense. I mean, it's a very proud moment when you see that but uh, even more proud when he comes home and he tells his cousins and his brother and his school of the experience and the opportunity that he had. Um, That's what we want to really be able to instill in our kids where they will take on those leadership roles and understand they have such a great opportunity in front of them and for them to use their platform, no matter what it may be, to always be able to give back when they have the opportunity. Man, it's wonderful to hear. It's great to see you. And talk with you, Andre Davis, wide receiver for the Houston Texans, eight years in the NFL. This has been a Where Are They Now? There's Drew Doherty with Andre Davis. Where are they now? Go to the Where Are They Now page at HoustonTexans.com for all those great interviews. This is just a sampling. And we'll have the full enchilada as far as games go on Sunday at noon. Texans, Titans, join us for all the action right here or on the Bull 100.3 FM or CBS TV. But I prefer the radio thing or turn down the sound or whatever you have to do and come to the stadium. Some tickets remain at HoustonTexans.com. Have a great night, everyone. Go Texans. This is Texans Radio on Sports Radio 610. As the official credit union of the Houston Texans, 
TDECU is proud to help fans like you feel the thrill of victory from the first deposit toward a savings goal to a major milestone like a new dream home. TDECU is here to help you navigate your financial journeys and to cheer you on every step of the way, creating victories and improving lives. It's the TDECU way. Visit TDECU.org. Insured by NCUA Equal Housing Lender. UA Equal Housing Lender. UA.